Time with your host, Coach Danielle McCartan. You can follow her work on Twitter at Coach McCartan. That's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. All right, back after a, a one-week hiatus. Hope you guys didn't miss me too much. This is 60-Minute Overtime, Spring 2017. This is Episode 9. Today's March 12th, 2017. I'm your hostess, Danielle McCartan. Quick shout-out to all the work here for everybody that is just joining for the first time. www.prosportsrundown.com is my site, at Coach McCartan. YouTube, you're going to type in Coach, space, M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N on that, soundcloud.com slash Coach McCartan, and on demand, iTunes podcast, Coach, space, M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Tune in radio is under the show's name, 60 M- minute, M-I-N-U-T-E, <laughs> overtime, play.google.com slash Coach McCartan. And uh, right now, let's check in on Facebook, Facebook Live video simulcast right now, facebook.com slash Coach McCartan, and over there on uh Periscope, it's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N, and the phone number to call in is 201-825-1234. Today's guests are uh, calling in momentarily is going to be uh, John Lund. He's a fellow Final Four Francesicon contestant, and uh, if you haven't seen the video yet, uh, I had participated on Mike Francesicon, uh, how do we even say this? It wasn't sponsored by CBS Radio, but it was like... I'll explain a little bit later, but John Lund was one of the uh, the final four. We we deemed ourselves the final four. Also, Francisco Cervelli, who is the current Pittsburgh Pirates catcher and catcher for Team Italy. I'm wearing a Team Italy polo right now, if you could see. Uh, and he's uh, the catching for World Base uh, Team Italy and World, World Baseball Classic. So we'll hear from him and Monica Abbott, who is professional softball's first million dollar pitcher, pitcher and silver medal winning athlete uh, for Team USA softball in the Beijing games. Also, well, you'll hear from uh, Brandon Marshall quickly, uh, just a comment I had gotten from him on uh, regarding Odell Beckham Jr. And uh, and that's it. So the phone number again, guys, is 201-825-1234. Got something to say? Call the studio, 201-825-1234. No, Mike Francesa is not here today. I went to go see him. Uh, so last week, and if you follow me on social media, as you know, I performed at Francesa Con. I was part of the final four that auditioned and got chosen to compete. You had to audition first, and then you had to get chosen. And I met John Lund there, who's going to be calling in momentarily. Uh, so what? what is it? What is Francesa Con? Well... Uh, Francesa, Mike Francesa is a sports talk radio legend, not just in New York, but basically in the entire sports media world. Um, he's got a very, very interesting group of fans, and he's he's the, the pulp of, of sports talk. People idolize him, his accent, his catchphrases. The word con comes from, like, comic con. It's a large gathering of fans is the best definition. I, I could have come up with, with that. And then, obviously... The man of the hour, Mike Francesa, comes on, and he he talks about, I don't know, just 
I don't even know because I was backstage. I didn't even see, but he he's come. He, he, I met him in the green room and he in talked to him prior to to coming on, and I talked about first of all the Las Vegas Raiders because I had called into his show about that. So Tom Barton, he's checking me out on Facebook, uh, Twitter, right now. Uh, I talked to him about the Las Vegas Raiders and that Super Bowl contest that I still think was a little unfair. Let's not go there and. Uh, it was a long experience for us Final Four contestants, I'll tell you that much. We were told of a few different things. Uh, I was told to prepare a monologue, then be prepared to riff with the other host. And uh, let's welcome in John Lund right now. John, is this you? What's going on, Daniel? How are you? Good. How are you, John? I'm doing well. So, I missed you so much. We haven't seen each other in, what, a week now? I know. It's been, <laughs> it's been one whole week. <laughs> no, we, uh, the, for the, everybody listening, uh, we had spent pretty much the whole day together last Saturday just waiting for our opportunity to go on and, and perform. So uh, we got, to, all four of us, we got to know each other pretty well. John, by the way, was, was crowned the winner. We're talking to the winner of Francesticon 4 Talent Contest. So, John, congratulations. Well, still haven't really gotten the prize in the mail yet, but I don't think that'll ever be coming. But yes, <laughs> they did crown the winner, though we didn't really go home with too much except for some fun stories to tell, which we can do now, right? That's right. So, and by the way, we were the only four in the entire place that did not get a photo with Mike Francesa, so I'm a little salty about that. A little bit as well. I have to agree. <laughs> All right, John. So what was, I mean, we talked about it, but, but you know, backstage, but what was that experience like for you to be competing in that at Irving Plaza in New York City? Well, it was pretty nerve-wracking to get started just because we were talking about it beforehand. Once the crowd started filing in, doing their typical chants as they do throughout the show, especially when Mike Benevento came out to do his Chris Rioso impersonation. It was like, oh, man, we have to go out and perform in front of these people. Obviously, they're just there to see Mike. If we're not very good, they're going to probably not be very kind to us because we're not the reason that they're there. So it went from being very nerve-wracking to then a little bit frustrating just because we weren't really given too much guidance as far as when we might be going on or if we would be going on at all. So it was just kind of a yo-yo effect throughout the day where you went from highs to lows to having to kind of amp yourself up to then not really having the opportunity to put that forward and then finally being able to in front of about 15 people. So it was interesting just to go from high to low to not really knowing what we were doing and spending a good portion of the afternoon sitting in a green room wondering who other musicians were in there as well like we were on that day. And that was a perfect summary of that because you captured it. It was like the waiting game. And then, you know, the people, they were booing the, the guy that was impersonating Mad Dog. And I was a little nervous to go out there in front of that big crowd. Right. Uh, so, you know, I, I had talked about the Jets. What did you prepare? Because you did it. You did. Uh, you know, there were four of us and you took a unique little angle to that. Do you, Can you give my listeners just a little taste of what you had prepared for the competition? Sure. I do a weekly sports show as well on Sports Radio America. And the first segment that I do every week is called Sports News Read Like Real News. And basically that entails picking maybe a little bit of a humorous story that's happened in the world of sports for the week and then putting on a fake news anchor type of voice and reading it that way. So because we were going into this contest without really knowing what we would need to do, I figured I would just prepare something beforehand, and if I needed to talk sports, I could just do that off the cuff. So what I had in mind was to do sort of an ode to Mike Francesa and kind of start 
at his beginning and work through Mike and the Mad Dog and then get up to what he's doing now and sort of try and work in all the inside jokes that he said and some of the different things that people know and could chant and was hopeful that with an audience, that might work a lot better. And when we had first arrived, there was that cover song of Hallelujah that they did on stage and it kind of encapsulated some of the things I had within that speech. And I was like, okay, this is going to be great. But then when we only were in front of 10 to 15 people, it kind of lost its luster. But my goal is to sort of just have that as the opener, kind of get people in the mood and get them a little bit excited and hope that that would carry over into a second or third round or whatever we ended up doing. So I got, uh, you talked about that. There about you, there were 15 people just, you know, pressed up to the front row, which is kind of cool, I guess. But I got the hello, dear, hello, dear, hello. Right. <laughs> That's the channel I got, which is, uh, if you don't know, for the guys listening, it's a typical, typical Mike Francesa tagline there. Hello, dear. Now, you live in Scranton, Pennsylvania. So are, are you able to listen to Mike Francesa on a daily basis or not really? I can't listen on a daily basis as much as I would like to. I do try to catch him if I can on demand or catching him online. What I usually do is go to Funhouse, the Twitter account at Funhouse, who will put together several clips from throughout the day that are usually on the humorous side where Mike might do something silly or mispronounce something or put a collar down. I usually enjoy that aspect more than him taking phone calls and talking to whoever he might have on for New York sports, but I do try to catch in here and there, see if there's any highlights that I might have missed. Maybe go to Boom and Carlton and see what they're picking on him for, but I, I do try and keep track on the social media side, which I think has gotten a lot stronger than it used to be in years past, which is nice for people that can't necessarily turn them on in their car and just drive around and listen to them that way. Yeah, you know, I was like you talked about the, the the weird callers that call in. There was one I was listening to yesterday, watching yesterday on YouTube. Some guy called in and asked Mike, like really seriously, if there could ever be a team that in baseball that goes 162 and 0. I have heard that. Yeah, and there was another one that asked if perhaps the Giants were to come into town, if they would meet up with the Giants baseball players just because they had the same name. And he was like, you know, you know, they haven't played in New York in many decades, right? And the guy was like, yeah, but still, they have the same name, maybe. So you have to give him credit just for the different people he has to deal with. I can understand why he gets a little short sometimes, because some people that call in are doing it humorously, and others actually think that what they're saying has some meaning and merit. So it's interesting to get that dynamic that he has to go through each show. So this is the the final, I guess, Francesicon people were asking, and it seems to be that th that might be the final Francesicon, Francesicon 4, because obviously Mike Francesca is going on. He's leaving WFAN, but no one really knows exactly where he's going or, or you know, it, what he's going to be doing next. So in your opinion, what, what is his legacy going to be? I think he has done enough now that his foibles and things that he might not necessarily get correct as far as looking things up or necessarily having statistics right. Just because of what he was able to do with the Mike and the Mad Dog show for those 19 years with Chris has really just escalated him up to a tier that I don't think will ever be touched. And because his show is played to such a large mass group in New York City and is on for so long, it's really like he's a part of people's lives. 
And when he's not on anymore, I feel like a lot of people won't necessarily know what to do in that early going because his voice won't be there to kind of take them through the rest of their day and get them home. So just because he's been in people's lives for so long, I think that's more of his legacy than it could be his sports opinions or his hot takes or what he has to say about the Giants or the Jets. It's more or less he's been that voice throughout people's lives and has gotten them through decades now of struggles or highs and lows that they might have faced. He's been there through it all. He's been somebody they could call into. Whether or not they might get through or be on hold for two hours is a different story, but they know that he's always there, and it's just kind of a way to feel more at home with his voice on the radio. So I think that's more or less his legacy so far, and I hope that he can kind of continue that, whatever he does next. And um, hopefully you'll be able to turn him on in the car where, where you are in Scranton maybe one day. That's right. Let's hope <laughs> so. Let's hope it's much more easier. I, I jokingly say to some people, I hope that he ends up at SiriusXM in some form of capacity. Maybe he'll get his own channel like Chris has now, and I can listen to him a lot more as, as far as other people can as well. I'm sure they would enjoy that, but he's been pretty hush-hush on what his next adventure is going to be, so I guess we'll just have to wait and see. That's right. So you, you mentioned you had a sports radio show weekly. So just, John, tell people where they can find your work and find you. Sure. It's on sportsradioamerica.com live on Wednesday nights at 7 Eastern time. It then goes to a podcast, so people can find that at londonbridge.com or follow me on Twitter at londonbridge. It's also on iTunes under the Bridge Sports Podcast. So couple different ways to find it. It is live on Wednesday, and then it's podcast form on Friday, LondonBridge.com. Now it's London, not like the city, but L-U-N-D-I-N, London that way. Correct, correct. <laughs> Very witty on my part, using my last name a little bit there. And a shout-out to Fergie as well for her London Bridge tune many years ago that kind of gave me that inspiration. <laughs> All right, John, thanks for calling in. I know you're busy today, so so thanks for taking the time out. No problem, Daniel. Pleasure catching up with you again and continued success. I hope Francisco's belly is a little bit less than I am later in your show because I know I'm going to be a hard act to follow for him, right? <laughs> definitely, definitely. All right, thank you thanks, very much. Daniel. I'll see you later. Obviously, we spent a lot of time together on that day and really got to know each other well. So, obviously, you heard from him, too. We weren't given really much direction on, on how to prepare or what to prepare and, you know, we were hanging out in the green room with, with a million other people. Mike Francesa was in there as well, kind of just waiting, seeing if we were going to get to go on and perform or not. So didn't exactly turn out the way, you know, you heard him. He prepared something along the lines of uh, Francesa, Mike, Mike and the Mad Dog sort of thing. I was expecting something more of the uh, sports, along the line of sports. I had, you know, done a lot of research. And what I was going to talk about was the New York Jets. But... You know, we wait around all day long, but finally, we finally got our shot to perform in front of like, you know, 15 people. But it was really cool because we performed on the same stage. This is at Irving Plaza in New York on the same stage as, you know, he said it. We were sitting there thinking, okay, who's used that bathroom before? Prince, Lenny Kravitz, Sting, they all performed there. And they were all in that green room. And, and two days later, the band Perry, the country music band, who I happen to really like, was going to be there performing a sold out show two days later, maybe three. So, you know... We used the same bathroom, we prepared in the same space as, and we performed on the same stage as a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of music legends.
this might as well be the New York Jets theme song coming into the 2017 season because they're going to be waiting on a sunny day. Uh, how many games are the Jets actually going to win this year? Well, we're not really that sure. We don't even know who the quarterback's going to be. So, yes, the Jets are going to be waiting on a sunny day. So let's you know, go back to the Francesa Con. I had performed uh, so much about the New York Jets that I wanted to play that for you, but my wonderful father, who is listening on Periscope right now, doesn't know how to use a phone or record video on a phone, so he only got, uh, you know, a little bit of it. So I'm going to play what I have, and then and then I'll continue it a little bit uh, later after that. So here is uh, me live from FrancesaCon 2017 in the Talent Search competition. And I'm talking about the New York Jets. Oh, it's on. Offensive lineman, and I directly disagree with McCagney 
Oh, you have to subscribe to Quality Over Quantity, guys. By the way, the Browns, speaking of Quality Over Quantity, had the most picks in last year's draft with 14. Look where that, look where that got them. Nowhere. Hey, yeah, I'm going to cut you off right there. Yeah. Let me ask you something. Are you a Jets fan? Yes. Uh, so you're passionate about them? Yes. Give me a passion plea of what the Jets should do to better themselves. Forget the script. No. I want script. I want you to go off script. I want to hear Danielle's take on a J-E-T-S. That's a J-E-T-S. Go ahead. Jets need to copy the Titans' mold in the draft. Three-year rebuild. 2014, they picked Taylor Lewin, an offensive lineman. 2015, first-round pick, first, you know, first round, they picked Marcus Harrell. Last year, picked right tackle. So clearly, uh, not all of that recorded, obviously, clearly, so you can see. So let me just continue this here. So I, I introed with Waiting on a Sunny Day by Bruce Springsteen for the New York Jets, and I thought that's kind of funny because they are. They are going to be waiting for a sunny day. Now, like I was saying, the Jets have, uh, how should we say this? The Jets have two quarterback projects, okay? They have let go their entire team. They have let go everybody who is everybody on that team, which is not right or wrong, okay? But they freed up $44 million in cap space. The Jets draft strategy is really, excuse me, literally to trade away everything they've worked for this entire season by being so bad, including the sixth overall pick. That's what you want. You want the sixth overall pick. So like I said, I think the Jets should copy the Titans mold. I'll tell you why. The Titans, first of all, no one's expecting to rebuild in, in one year. It's just not going to happen. You cannot do a complete and total overhaul rebuild in one year. That's not what the Titans did. The Titans did, uh, they got a left tackle, like I said, Taylor Lewin, 2014. Uh, they took Marcus Mariota in 2015 out of the draft. In 2016, they got uh, Jack Conklin. And Conklin was the fifth bet best at his position last year. Lewin was the sixth best at his position last year. The the, uh, the guy from the Daily News on that panel tried telling me that I should have went with the example of the Dallas Cowboys. But guess what? The Titans had a better offensive line than, than the Dallas Cowboys last year. So it's not a secret to me that the, the offensive line is the key to all offenses. And in regards to the Titans, DeMarco Murray was a finalist for Comeback Player of the Year. Marcus Mariota had a huge resurgence last season. And the Titans were a playoff team until he broke his leg. And who who knows what could have happened in, in the playoffs for them. And they just, I believe, I, I think I saw on Twitter that they just signed Dante Hightower. I mean, the Titans are going to be a team to beat. Especially, you know, in, in their division that they play in, which is not the best. So I ended up saying... Jets fans, be concerned, be very concerned. And I had a list of the free agent quarterbacks. I have at the bottom, Colin Kaepernick is still out there. Brian Hoyer just got picked up. Mike Glennon got picked up. Tony Romo with a question mark. Tyrod Taylor is back with the Bills. And uh, that's since a free agency opened on March 9th. So I'm glad to see the Jets haven't made any quarterback moves. Because you know what? I'm going to tell you why. The Jets still have two projects in Bryce Petty or Christian Hackenberg and Christian Hackenberg. Okay, like I said, Christian Hackenberg hasn't even taken uh, first team reps at practice. Okay, but Brandon Marshall is coming out and saying that he is going to start a game this coming year. Okay, fine, fine. 
But I really hope that the Jets have a plan because it doesn't seem like it. Let's just throw that out there. It doesn't seem like the Jets have any sort of plan. You can't do a complete rebuild in one year. I hope they know that. But since there are like real slim pickings at the quarterback position, you know, what's left? Uh, even in the draft, there's nobody coming up that's actually like, you know, wow, good. I think you just let it go for this year. You work on Petty. You work on Hackenberg. You see what you have. You see what you have. And I, and I had the same mentality with Darrell Revis. You see what you have. Because who knows if he could have played safety. Why let him go? Obviously, he can't play cornerback anymore. But try him at safety. When you have nothing left to play for, give him two, three games at, at safety just to see how he does, right? But they let him go. They released him. Fine. Okay. That doesn't sound like a plan to me, but okay. What they should do now is take Hackenberg, put him in, put Petty in, see what happens, shop Geno Smith around, which Geno Smith, by the way, here's here's breaking news. Geno Smith met with the Giants, uh, I think it was yesterday. Apparently the, the meeting went well and he's excited. So I don't know if uh, Giants fans are excited about that, but Geno Smith had met with the Giants. So good, go. Pack your bags and go. That's fine. So what I'm saying is give Petty a shot and give Hackenberg a shot and see and just build up the team outside of the quarterback position. So what you could be able to do in 2018 is just insert quarterback into lineup. We could deal what we have for one more year. No one's expecting the Jets to be good this year. So deal what they have for one more year and, and start putting pieces in. Lay the foundation. Then go all in on a quarterback next year, either in the draft Everybody's talking about USC's quarterback, Sam Darnold. But hello, I looked at the 2018 free agent quarterbacks last night, according to SportRack. That's where I got the information from. Let me just read you a couple of these names. You tell me, is anybody uh, listening a Jet fan? You tell me if you'd be more than happy to have any one of these guys on your team with $34 million in cap space that you just freed up. Drew Brees? Mm-hmm. I'll take him. Kirk Cousins, eh, on him. Sam Bradford, eh, on him too. Matthew Stafford, I, I'll go all in on Matthew Stafford for the Jets, all in. Chad Henney, Drew Stanton, Dar Brandon Whedon, Matt Moore, Luke McCown, no thanks. And down the all the way down the list, meaning that he's he's not requiring that much money. As the rest of the guys, a 2017 AAV, Derek Carr. Also, Jimmy Garoppolo. Okay, so we have options in 2018 at quarterback. Don't take one now. My top, my top picks for the Jets would be in this order. I would want number one, Matthew Stafford. Number two, Jimmy Garoppolo. Followed by number three, Drew Brees. That's my quarterback wish list for the Jets for next year. So what I'm trying to say is just keep what you have. Stay the course because there's better options next year. And if you can't afford it next year, which I don't really see why they wouldn't because they let it, all their veteran talent go. If you can't afford it, go to the draft. Get somebody in the draft. But man, this free agent list, I really, I really, and obviously these, these guys could go back to their teams. I don't know what the cap space is for, for example, the Lions or the Saints or what the Patriots are even going to do with Jimmy Garoppolo. But by the way, did you see the, the, the post he posted online? I think it was on Instagram that uh, Jimmy Garoppolo posted, peace out Boston or peace out Patriots Nation. People were freaking out. They thought he went to the Browns. 
Uh, lucky for him, he gets to be Tom Brady's backup for at least one more year. This is Brandon Marshall, wide receiver of the New York Jets, and you're listening to the 60-minute overtime on WRPR. Hot in here, the NFL free agency is at a fever pitch. There are deals. I can't even keep up with the deals that are going on at uh, at the NFL. I keep getting the notifications on my watch, on, on my phone. I, I just can't keep up. But my best, uh, the best thing I, I've seen is that the Jets, Brandon Marshall, obviously he was in my tagline. I got to see if I can edit that somehow. <laughs> but he said New York Jets wide receiver Brandon Marshall. Um, he's going to be going to the New York Giants, and I think uh, that is the best possible move the Giants could have made. This is my favorite move of the free agency period. I'll tell you why. Because the Giants only need a couple more pieces to be Super Bowl ready. Yeah, I said it. The Giants only need a couple more pieces to be Super Bowl ready. And Eli Manning loves, loves the tall wide receivers. Marshall blocks downfield. He's a number one receiver playing as a number two receiver, which is, if by willing to be doing that, I mean that's just that's amazing for the Giants. To, for because Marshall's being a, a team player in that sense, he's a number one receiver. Still can be no, a number one receiver in this league. Yet he's playing behind Odell Beckham Jr. as the number two receiver. That's a dangerous combination for any defense trying to, to trying to cover these guys. Brandon Marshall. He's 6'4". He's a big target for Eli Manning downfield. If you remember, Eli loved playing with Plaxico Burris. Plaxico Burris is 6'5". And we all remember that fateful pass from Manning to Burris in 2008 to win the Super Bowl, right? So that's kind of how I'm seeing Brandon Marshall here. Because if you look at the other... Wide receivers, obviously they let Victor Cruz go, but he was probably only 5'10 or so, 5'11 maybe. Um, Sterling Shepard, he's 5'10. Odell Beckham, 5'11. So, you know, a big target for Eli over there with, with Brandon Marshall. And besides the fact that he blocks downfield. Because if Odell Beckham catches a ball, who, who he's most dangerous in yards after the catch, Odell Beckham Jr., Right, we've seen that all season long. So him being most dangerous in yards after the catch, and now you add a blocker downfield for him, whew, Odell Beckham's going to have a, a, a masterful year next year. And and not to mention this, right after Odell Beckham got into a fight with the kicking net, we've seen the memes, we've seen the, the gifs. Not long after that, I asked Brandon Marshall uh, about a comparison between the two of them. As you know, Brandon Marshall had his own stuff, anger-related issues with the Chicago Bears. He's since found help and, and, and whatever. But I asked him, does he see himself in a young Odell Beckham Jr.? Here's what he said. Do you see a lot of yourself in Odell Beckham as a young player? There you go again, <laughs> NFL today. <laughs> Let me get your own video saying that. There you go. <laughs> yeah, to just walk down and pass I'm, no more Odell. No more Odell. You got it. We'll ask him. We are piling on at this point, right? <laughs> we need to leave Odell alone. He'll be fine. He'll be fine because guess what? Brandon Marshall is going to be his teammate now. So he, I believe, is going to mentor him in in the locker room. And he called me NFL Network. That's kind of cool. Twice, actually. Odell Beckham, 24 years old. 
is a young Brandon Marshall who's turning 33 in probably two weeks, March 23rd. Marshall, though, that, then that's the good news. He could take him under his wing, show him the way. That would be the best possible outcome for Eli Manning and the Giants overall, right? There's also the chance that it's no secret that Brandon Marshall is very outspoken in a lot of issues in the locker room. And that's something that Eli and, o- and o- Odell Beckham Jr. struggled with this past season. So this could be good. Someone just said on, on Periscope that if uh, <laughs> Plexico Burst shot himself in the leg, we all know that, right? And he said, whoever that was, I, I couldn't read your name real quick, but it said that uh, Brendan Marshall, as long as he stays at a club, should be fine. <laughs> that's kind of funny. Uh, but listen, Marshall is very outspoken. Eli and Odell Beckham struggled with that in the past. This could still backfire. This could still be a bad situation for Eli Manning, but I don't think so. I, I, I don't think it's it's like that because Brandon Marshall got everything he wanted. As you know, he has wanted to stay in this area, either, you know, obviously not the Jets, but because the Jets offered him a contract that, that he turned down. So it wouldn't be the Jets, but he wanted to stay in the Northeast because he has his radio gig or his TV gig with audience sports. So, you know, he wanted to be, be a Patriot. He wanted to be a giant and anywhere around this area that he can get back to and from doing that as well as uh, you know, obviously playing in, in games. So as I mentioned before, guess who visited the Giants, everybody? Knock, knock. Geno Smith and our friend who's on here often, Art Stapleton, broke that news. Giants fans, you don't want him. He doesn't fit your system. You don't want a quarterback like Geno Smith. He has zero leadership skills in the locker room. And uh, we all know why. We've all seen that part. Obviously, we've all seen what happened with him. And what I'm referencing is how he got punched in the face in the locker room by uh, a teammate of his. So if that doesn't show a lack of leadership skills, I don't know what does. But Giants, you don't want Geno Smith. You don't want him. You don't want him. So in World Baseball Classic news, Team USA entered last night's play coming off a thrilling 10-inning, two-strike, two-out, walk-off single by Baltimore Orioles' Adam Jones over Columbia. Last night, they took on the Dominican Republic from Marlins Park in Miami, Florida. Team USA blew a five-run lead, opening the door for the Dominican Republic to take the game with a final score of 7-5. NHL news last night, the New Jersey Devils fell to the lowly Arizona Coyotes, who are 7th in the Pacific Division with a score of 5-4. With that loss, the Devils are riding a 10-game losing streak to a 25-31-12 record on the season. They're in last place in the Metropolitan Division. In St. Louis, the New York Islanders lost 4-3 to the St. Louis Blues. Vladimir Tarashenko, the right wing, netted two goals for the Blues in that game. The New York Rangers will face off in Detroit against the Red Wings at 7 p.m. Eastern tonight. The Rangers are 3-2 in the month of March. And if the season ended today, the Rangers will have locked up one of two Eastern Wildcuff wildcard playoff berths. In NBA news, the Knicks and Nets will tip off tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern from the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. The Knicks lead the season series 2-zip. The Knickerbockers are returning home from Detroit after their loss to the Pistons 112-92 last night. And the Nets were off last night, but lost to the Dallas Mavericks 105-96 on Friday night. 
in primetime college hoops. I'm sure you were watching. Number 14, Duke, became the first team to win the Atlantic Coast Conference Tournament with four wins in four days. Duke rallied to beat number 22, Notre Dame, with a final score of 75-69. to And in NASCAR news, uh, the Cobalt 400 kicks off from Las Vegas Motor Speedway at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Fox. Brad Keselowski in his Miller Lite number 2 Ford has locked up pole position. I'm Danielle McCartan, and that's your 60-minute overtime hurry-up offense. Hi, this is Charlie Hayes, third baseman for the 1996 World Series champs, and you're listening to 60 Minutes Overtime on WRPR. So Team Italy is 1-1 one one in the most difficult division of the World Baseball Classic. They entered last night's game coming off a five-run, bottom of the ninth, walk-off win against host nation Mexico. The final score of that game was 10-9. However, every time I turned on the game last night or yesterday, Venezuela, their opponent, seemed to score every single time I turned on the TV. So I tried to keep flipping back and forth, back and forth. I kept giving... The team Italy, the Malocchio, the bad luck, the Malocchio. And uh, that was from Jalisco, Mexico. And in an eight. Now, what, what really made me angry was that the score was eight to seven, I think it was in the eighth inning, if I'm not mistaken. The MLB network just decides they're going to switch to the pregame for the USA Dominican Republic game. Like, what? That was a good game. It ended up going into extra innings, the Italy Venezuela game. And. I just was outraged. And so they say, they get on, they say, oh, you can go and watch it on uh, MLB.com. Okay, so I go on MLB.com, and it's like a little video game graphics. Who could watch that? So what I gathered after that was I wish Italy had capitalized. They had like six walks later on in the game. I just wish they had capitalized on that just a little bit. They got some base runners on in tight spots. But they did fall to Venezuela 11-10 to in 10 innings. Now, today, Italy has to beat Puerto Rico at 3.30 Eastern to advance to uh, round two. It doesn't look good because Puerto Rico... See, Italy lost to Venezuela last night, right, in extra innings. Puerto Rico crushed Venezuela 11-0. That's like the 10-run rule, the mercy rule. Not really, but they they crushed them a couple days ago. So Italy definitely has their uh, work cut out for them. But an interesting angle to the game last night, the, the Italy-Venezuela game, is that Pittsburgh Pirates catcher Francisco Cervelli, he, he's of Venezuelan and Italian heritage, he chose to play for Team Italy over Team Venezuela. So I'm going to let him explain it. This is my interview with uh, with Francisco Cervelli from the Italian-American baseball family's launch party at Carmine's Pizza in Brooklyn. This was a, a Mint Pros event. And here's why. And let, let him explain why he picked Port, uh, Team Italy over Team Venezuela.
not a secret. All the Italian families, they're very close, so we try to make uh, good things happen, you know. Now, why is it important for you to play for Team Italy? You have, you have a Venezuelan background, too. You pick Team Italy. Why? Well, I, I played with Italy in 2009. Um, they make me, they gave me opportunity when I was uh, a minor leaguer, and, uh, and uh, you know, I, I, I just love that year, and then I feel like I want to do it again. Now, you're playing against your, your Venezuelan team in, in your bracket. What do you think for the 2017, uh, you know, this, the tournament this year? It's going to be it's gonna be pretty hard. Uh, you know, the Venezuelan team, they call me, but I think, uh, you know, they give me the chance, and, and I, I want to be here again. But it's, it's going to be a crazy competition, but always good. Yeah, now, hey, uh, born in Venezuela, right? Your, but your last name is uh, Brains in Italian, Cervelli. Yeah. Uh, how have you embraced your heritage, both of them? Excuse me? Okay. How have you embraced your heritage, your Italian and Venezuelan sides? Well, you know, I, I think it's a great mix. Uh, Venezuela is, uh, it, it, it's, it's, I, I really love it. everything that, that I got. Um, my mom is from there. Uh, but also my whole Italian family is in Venezuela, so I got two different cultures and it's really special. Now this year the Pirates are giving out uh, uh, Francisco Cervelli, that's a more a bobblehead doll. Can I get one of those? Could you send me one of those? Yeah, 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 sure. What is it's, that going to be like for you? That's it's a so particular cool. bobblehead with a rope and a flat and a rose and everything. And it sinks. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. I, I, I want one of those. <laughs> All right, so the thoughts on the on the Pirates for 2017 moving forward? Well, it's a, it's a lot of work, you know, they, they trying to put a lot of pieces together. It's, it's not my job. My job is go there, play yeah. baseball. But it's really good organization. They really care about players. Uh, we got a family. Uh, the guys are amazing, so I feel like home. Now, you had a front row seat to the core four. What was it like watching it from you as the, the backup to Posada? What was it like watching that all unfold in the Bronx not long ago? Well, you know, I, I was talking to Jorge the other day, and, and, I, and I, I asked him, you got to teach me more things because I want to keep learning because he was one of my idols. It was impressive the way... Those four guys take care of business. Uh, they were professionals, and then they they knew how to win. That that was the that impressive thing for me. Now, I, I, when I was going to games, I saw you were very close with Alex Rodriguez. Do you still talk with him? And what does he what does he taught you? Well, he uh, I, he teach me so many things about baseball. Uh, this guy is, is is one of the the, the guys that I. It's impressive how how many things he knows about little details, mental game. Um, I don't have the, uh, the the chance to talk to him anymore, but it uh, was a big part of my career. Uh, I heard you're a big Juventus fan. I read that. Uh, what do you think? I have a question, a fan question. What do you think about the purchase of Iguain from Napoli for Juventus? It was good. It, it, it was great. It's a great player, uh, good striker, but. You can have Messi in your team, but if the other guys, they don't do the job, it's not going to be good. Now, do you think they have a shot at winning the Champions League this oh, year? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If, he, if they get healthy, it's going to happen. All right. Now, before I let you go, you're going to have your pick of Italian karaoke, Italian speed round, or an Italian baseball lesson. Oh, Italian karaoke. Karaoke? <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> All right. Got it right here. It might be a little tough to hear, but I'll, I'll put it loud.
We'll do two or three songs. Let's do, I think you would like this one. How's that for Francisco Cervelli talking about, I don't know, that, that the, the loyalty that Italy had called him when he was in the minor leagues. He obviously had played for them while he was in the minor leagues. And a little loyalty goes a long way. So, you know, he said Venezuela called him to play this year, and, and he turned him down just because Italy was the one who had given him his shot way back when he was a minor leaguer. So I thought that was kind of cool. Okay, what the f <laughs> So on February 27th, 2017, right, the official Adidas account tweeted, and I quote here, break the 40-yard dash record, win your own island. Paradise awaits. And that obviously is in reference to the NFL Combine that had just taken place last weekend. So if you broke the record of 4.24 seconds, 40-yard dash in 4.24 seconds. That was set in 2008 by Chris Johnson, who is the current running back for the Arizona Cardinals. If you broke that record, you would have your choice of one of four islands located around the world. They are all valued at or just under $1 million. Or you could just opt to take the $1 million. In exchange, the athlete would have to agree to endorse Adidas during the 17-18 NFL season. No big deal. But what you had to do is you had to run it wearing the Adidas cleats. So here are the official rules from the, the Adidas website. If at the NFL scouting combine athlete combine, if at the NFL scouting combine athlete who is a designated athlete, one wears Adidas shoes during the 40-yard dash, two based on NFL official times breaks the official record for the fastest time of any position during the 40-yard dash, or three, or N3, athlete enters into an endorsement agreement with Adidas before the start of the 17-18 NFL regular season. Then, Adidas agrees to provide the athlete with an island selected by Adidas that has a maximum value of $1 million. So guess what? That's what he told me. Four two two. No way. So according to what we just and he limped. That's why he limping. According to what we just ran into an injury. It didn't look like he was running. According to what we just timed, 
So John Ross, he is a wide receiver for the Washington Huskies. He breaks the record. He broke the record, and you get an island, and you get an island, and you get a million dollars. But guess what? He was wearing Nike cleats, not Adidas cleats. So no, John Ross, you don't get an island, and you don't get a million dollars. Oh, well, that was fun while it lasted, I guess, right? The month of March, uh, I, I was reaching out to many, many female athletes because a lot of the time I have male athletes on this, this program. So I was reaching out to a lot of female athletes to come on and talk about because, as you know, the month of March is Women's History Month. Uh, let's just say that the men are, are more willing to help out than the women are. But Monica Abbott... Uh, you might know her as or seen her name in headlines because she is the first female pitcher who signed a million-dollar contract to play softball professionally. So I had the opportunity to talk with her probably about a week and a half ago, maybe two weeks ago, and we, we talked about everything. We talked about everything from at what point did you know you wanted to play softball professionally to playing in the Olympics to facing off against uh, Mike Trout. So I wanted to bring a little female uh, flavor to the 60 minute overtime because you know it's always male heavy guests obviously so let's hear from monica abbott who is the former pitcher for team usa in the beijing game she won a silver medal there looking to 2020 now because softball is reinstated and i think baseball is reinstated into the olympic games so she's hoping to play for team usa there uh in 2020 and uh she's a pitcher current pitcher for you know the the pro, pro softball fast pitch league, and she's a pitcher for what the team. Her team is called the uh, Scrapyard Dogs. So here's myself, Daniel McCartan, and Monica Abbott. Today we have on the show Monica Abbott, a professional silver medal winning softball player for the Scrapyard Dogs professional softball. Uh, and I know she's busy; it's softball season is just ramping up. So I want to welcome Monica Abbott to the program, 60 minute overtime. And uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks. I'm so happy to be here. Um, and excited for this upcoming softball season. It's incredible how much our sport is growing and how much all of you, all of the listeners, um, are getting excited about our sport. Yeah, I mean, Monica, let's start your college career. You're playing for the Tennessee Lady Volunteers. I, I, I looked this up today. Let's just run through this, guys. She's first in all-time Division One strikeouts, first in all-time Division One wins, first in all-time career shutouts. Do we see a trend here? First all-time in games pitched. 23 Division One no-hitters, six Division One perfect games. Is there anything, Monica, that you can't do? <laughs> well, I don't want to sell myself short, but I don't believe in putting limits on on someone. And why sell yourself short? You can do so much more than you ever thought was possible, and um, why not? Why not you? Why not me? Um, why can't I? I'm the only person that uh, knows that I can really do it. So uh, you got to go out there and give it your best and continue to fight through the struggles and just keep going to, going for it. Now, Monica, at what point did you know, because I played softball you know, competitively too, not, prep for, not professionally, but competitively. At what point did you know or did you realize you wanted to play softball at the professional level? Um, you know, when I was growing up, professional softball wasn't like very well known. So 
my big dream was to play in the Olympics. Right. And then I kind of found out about the professional game in college. And some of my Team, team USA teammates were playing for some teams like Crystal Bustos and um, Jenny Finch. They were playing professionally as well. And I was like, and I was still in college at the time. So I was like, oh, you know what? I, I want to do that. Why not? Um, I, I want to play professionally. So I got drafted um, out of my Bills. senior senior year of college to the Washington Glory and then played with the Chicago Bandits for quite some time and then um, now last year I signed my contract with the Scrapyard Dogs in Houston so I'll be there for the next five years. Cool that's so cool. Now you know let's talk about I'm sure you've heard uh, baseball MLB they're making rules changing the rules to speed up the course of the game but you know Uh why is it more attention paid to fast pitch softball? (laughs) <laughs> you know, they just changed a rule about, like, in, intentional walks. Right. You know? Did you see that? The yeah. intentional walks, you know, you don't have to pitch anymore. And that's actually a rule in international softball. So the highest level of our game, international softball, you just you don't have to pitch for an intentional walk. You just send them to first base. Oh, interesting. And I was just like, oh, they're so borrowing from softball right now. <laughs> Look at them copying us, you know. So I think that's such a huge compliment when people try and copy you or, you know, share share things and borrow from different sports and uh, to make them better. It's a huge compliment. And, you know, we do the same thing. We need to borrow from MLB something so that we can continue to grow and uh, make our professional league uh, that much better. Now, do you feel that, I mean, I don't know when that rule, the softball rule was instituted, instituted but... There's the baseball and the softball purists out there. Do you believe that it's a good thing or a bad thing, you know, overall, having experienced it already? You know, I think that baseball and softball, you know, it's an old, technically it's kind of like an older sport. Like, it's been around for a really long time. And, you know, our game has evolved. And if we don't evolve the rules with it and adjust them with it, then it's a problem because, you know, in... 1912 or in 85, you know, you didn't have the bat technology that they did today. You know, you you don't have, you know, the technology on the K-zone and um, exit flight and uh, different types of movements and the weightlifting technology and all of this stuff. So as the game gets better and we find better ways to play it, you know, some of the things need to evolve. Some of the rules have to evolve with it to continue to make it super competitive. Yeah, no, I agree. Now, your former teammate, Jenny Finch, and I'm sure you could do this too, but she actually had struck out Albert Pujols, and he said, I never want to experience that again. Alex Rodriguez said he didn't want to be made a fool of, and Jenny struck out Hall of Famer now, Mike Piazza. What do you think that does uh, for the game of softball? Um, I think it's really cool, you know, it's huge. Anytime you can get out there in front of a bigger crowd with well-known athletes and compete and show off your skills a little bit like Jenny has done, um, it brings so much notoriety to us as softball players. You know, even these days, you know, baseball guys will come up to me and be like, oh, I, I'm not standing in the box. I, there's no way I'm standing in the box against you. I know who you are. I know what you do. I'm not going to do that, you know, so the Poor uh, Pujols and Piazza, you know, they, they, I guess they got the short end of the stick on that one. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, we were talking a little bit about borrowing from the MLB. They borrow from you guys. 
I think it'd be so cool. I would love to see a softball baseball skills competition, the All Star Game. I would love to see you take on Mike Trout. What do you think? I would be totally down for that. It would be pretty. It would be a lot of fun. I think that we could definitely create some sort of game, like a baseball softball game, um, to rally both sides. That would be a lot of fun. Um, whether it's pitching, hitting, why not? Um, let's get like Clayton Kershaw to throw to. Brittany Cervantes, yeah, you know, yeah. why not? So that would be really cool as well. Um, maybe some throwing contests or accuracy stuff like that. Um, I see a lot of good potential there. Yeah, that would be so cool. I think so. Now, listen, I, I remember going to, I don't even know if it's the same league now, but uh, a New Jersey juggernaut game a long time ago. Yeah, so, you know, sure. professional baseball is just ever-present. It's all around. What's the day, we know, and we know the, the day-to-day with those guys, but what's the a day in the life of a pro softball player? Um, a day in the life of a pro softball player, well, it, i got to tell you, it's pretty awesome because basically you wake up every day thinking about how to get better as an athlete. Um, ultimately, that's my job is how can I become a better athlete? How can I become a better pitcher? How can I become a better professional? And, you know, you wake up, you work, you eat breakfast, a workout, and maybe you go to the field for a little bit. Maybe you stop by... Maybe you give some lessons or stop by some travel ball teams to help run a, run a practice or a, a little clinic. Um, you maybe work out again. Sometimes I stop by at schools and do, like, some volunteer stuff. So there's a lot of different options that you can do um, that, are really, that, re- that are really great. Now, do here's a question here because it, it's been to the forefront of the news with the U.S. women's soccer team leading the way here. But I want to ask you: Do most professional softball players have to work an additional job in order to make ends meet? Yeah, most professional softball players do something else um, during the off season, and part of that is because our off season is a little bit long. So we finish in September and then we don't start again until May. So they train and work at the same time. A lot of them do softball related jobs such as coaching high school teams, giving lessons, working at an academy. Um, some, you know, coach or finish are finishing their degree at their college, like Kiki Stokes who plays for the dogs right now. Um, she was a rookie last year, had a really good first season she went back to school to finish her degree and she'll be back with us in the dogs so everyone's a little bit different I during my off season I play overseas in Japan and then I come back here for the season with the dogs in Houston Nolan Ryan was the MLB's first million dollar pitcher you Monica Monica Abbott you're the pro softball's first million dollar pitcher well first congratulations that's amazing and second what does that mean for the sport overall Okay, um, well, first off, being the first million-dollar athlete, it's pretty pretty incredible to have, like, a contract written like that because it is such a huge deal not only for athletes but um, for female athletes. We still have a long ways to go as far as, like, contracts and bridging the wage gap and all of those things, but we are, I feel like this contract, you know, took a pretty big step for all of us women in the right direction. And for softball, it starts to create excitement because right now, you know, as kids, a lot of us are watching baseball. You know, we watch baseball as a kid because there's more more access to watch it live on TV 
but and you know the people are growing up being like oh i want to be like madison bumgarner i want to be like mike trout and then they see like oh he signed like a 290 million dollar contract i want to be like him and their dads and their parents like you know get them excited because they want their dad their parents want them to make 290 million too you know right, right. so um but now like we, we didn't have that we didn't have someone that was like a big a big we had the big names but we, we didn't have the financials behind it so now we can see a young girl like little andrea or little elizabeth going out there and being like wow i'm gonna play professional softball and the mom and dad are like oh okay you're gonna play professional softball and you have a chance to actually make a living doing this you could be the next million dollar athlete right so and once they start doing that the growth and the level of play and the excitement even you know people seeing that this sport is worth investing in whether it's you know the dad that's telling his daughter you can be the next million dollar athlete or whether it's um you know secret deodorant (laughs) saying you know hey you know this this is something that I want to invest in because they're investing in themselves. Wow, that's that's great. It's just the bigger picture of it, too. You have such a good handle on it. Now, have any other um, of the, those female athletes have reached out to you, you know, in, in regards to this contract and, and br- trying to bridge the wage gap or no? There's been a lot. Of, a lot of people have reached out. A lot of parents have. Um, a lot of people I went to school with that are now professionals as well, so... Um, football players and you know what's cool is a lot of the male athletes are just as excited good. that are professional that's um, good and that's been pretty cool uh, that maybe they're they have daughters now you know so uh some male male athletes and uh, some female athletes as well and just everyone's really rallied and the softball community has been great so um, i'm so thankful for everyone's support in this because it was a big decision um, although it seems small, it seems like an easy yes, but um, I did take it take it to heart because, you know, there's a bit, little bit of a weight that comes with being the first. Yes, I'm sure. A lot of pressure. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's completely well-deserved. If it's, if it's going to be anybody, I'm, I'm happy it's you. Well, thank you. Now, um, I, I, this, I'm going to put my coach's hat on now. I, I, as I told you in the email, I said I coach softball at the high school level in northern New Jersey, we're just having an issue with just the number of girls trying out for our teams. I think this year we're going to have maybe 24 girls coming out if they all show up for tryouts. Uh, in my school, especially, most girls are playing lacrosse, and that's been sort of the, the trend throughout at least North Jersey, I can, I can say, in Central Jersey. What could we or I, as a coach of the game, do to garner more interest at, at, at my level? Um, I think that we need to talk about, like, what are you – I think you need to remember how to make it fun for kids, and mm-hmm. that includes not necessarily like you know throwing, throwing a pizza party, but having practice be exciting and fun, so people want to come out and practice and be a part of that, even though it's a practice. So creating good energy out there, also just being able to show off your skills and getting excited about that. I think as we support each other on the team. You know, your second baseman sharing an article about the center fielder and um, all of those things creating that that excitement helps uh, helps everyone get get more energy towards the sport. Finally, and, and I coach volleyball too, so I, we always experience a little bit of an uptick when it's like a, an Olympic year. People get excited, like you were just saying. 
Now, in 2020, softball is going to be back in the Olympics. Would that, how would that or what would the trickle-down impact be on, on the youth programs, you think? That's right. Um, softball is back in 2020. <laughs> I'm, like, so excited because obviously I played in 2008. I was in the last Olympics, and yeah. I was kind of that. I was the youngest player in 2008. And for the opportunity for softball to finally come back, it's been huge. And that's going to just – it creates the dream. You know, it creates excitement. It builds a vision for kids. Um, who doesn't want to wear USA across their chest and compete for their country? That is such a huge honor. And being able to do that on the world stage is just incredible. So I think – that, and the great thing about the Olympics is, like, anyone – you know, it can be anyone that makes it. It's, it's – it really can, you know, you can be from the smallest town, you can come from, you know, you see the stories during the Olympics, and all the stories are different. Now, could you, you just said it, you just touched on it, could you describe to me the first time you saw your name, Abbott, on a Team USA jersey? Um, <laughs> I, like, kind of froze, you know, I was, I froze and was like, oh my gosh, and Vicky Galindo, who was my roommate at the time she was a second baseman um utility player speedy slap hitter and stuff and she was my roommate and we both had our name on the back and we were like oh my gosh and we just like celebrated and hugged and screamed and called everyone and then the moment I got home we my family and I we had like a big little celebration and it was just a really surreal moment and I'll never forget that forget it now, listen, you won the silver medal in the Beijing Games. Will you be going for gold in Team USA in 2020? You know, I would really like to compete in 2020 for Team USA um, in Tokyo. God willing that I stay healthy and things align correctly and um, everything moves forward, um, USA will go out there and put on a great show to compete uh, for a gold medal. Now, just finally to wrap up, how does your team, the Scrapyard Dogs, look this season? Uh, the Scrapyard Dogs, uh, we look really good. I'm excited. We got some good, some really big key people that we needed during the off season through trades and through uh, free agency. Uh, we have last year we had a ton of rookies, and we played really well all year. And then we got to championships, and we we didn't we just didn't we didn't take it to the next level as much as we could have. So I feel like everyone has a little bit of like. You know, uh, we can do better. We know we can do better, um, and everyone wants that. Wants wants that. We want to be more competitive uh, next year. And with a few key people coming in, like Taylor Edwards, a catcher, and Brittany Cervantes, uh, one of the best hitters in the NPF. Um, we also have Elisa Gola, Elisa Goler, and Kayla Wingfield. So we have some really big people that are going to be key components to us. Hopefully through the draft, we'll pick up a couple more kids that um, can be role players and maybe some speed, and we'll be set. So I'm really excited about uh, this season and what we can do at, what we can do as a team with the dogs. Now it sounds like you guys have a little bit more experience in the in the, in the postseason, in the playoffs, and, and with something to prove. That's always a good winning combination, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I think um, our potential is going to be really high. We have a really good team, so I'm excited that for us to put it all together and make a little magic, you know? Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you coming on and, and talking. Finally, I have you're my first, I think, woman guest on, on my entire program, so thank you. Well, thank you. I hope I'm not your last. That was um, myself and Monica Abbott, the pitcher. She's uh, got a good outlook on things, and I think 
dealing with the pressure pretty well of being the first million-dollar pitcher in, in softball. So that's pretty cool. So uh, I, that's all I got for you guys today in terms of new content. Just some important dates to remember. The NFL draft is on April 27th. Uh, today is also Selection Sunday, which is the seeding process for the March Madness tournament. So this is the official start of March Madness is today, so don't forget to fill out your bracket. And I was just looking up as she was talking. Yes, Warren Buffett is doing that challenge again, so you better get your brackets filled out because, and there's really no science to this, guys. So Warren Buffett, obviously you know he's like the billionaire. He's going to give out $100,000 to the person who goes the farthest, even if they can't get all 16 teams correct in the end. So if you get the farthest, you're getting $100,000. And that's coming off the heels of, you remember, a couple years ago where he teamed up with Quicken Loans to offer $1 billion to anyone that could pick a perfect bracket in the men's tournament. And the odds of that, everybody, are 1 in 9.2 quintillion. That's followed by 18 zeros, quintillion. But they're, st- they're saying there's a chance. There's still a 1 one in that chance. So it could be you. Why not you? As Monica Abbott said, why not you? But he's not giving away that much money. He's not giving away that much. So this year it's $100,000 for those of you who get the farthest, the person who gets the farthest. So uh, I'm going to fill one out. I could use $100,000. That would be pretty nice. <laughs> and uh, the selection Sunday, the seatings and everything that happens tonight, today, later today. So um, also MLB opening day is three weeks from today. This feels so long. I wish they would just start already. But guess what? We're getting a gigantic nor'easter snowstorm on Tuesday here in New Jersey. They're expecting uh, 12 to 18 inches of snow is the last I saw. So I guess it's a good thing that baseball is staying put in Florida and in Arizona in the Cactus League and the Grapefruit League. So that that's it for today. So we have, uh, what do we do today? We talked to John Lund about Francesicon, my fellow contestant. We talked to Francisco Cervelli, who is the current catcher for Team Italy in World Baseball Classic. He also is a catcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And that... Just now was Monica Abbott, professional softball's first million-dollar player and silver medal-winning pitcher. A little bit of commentary from Brandon Marshall in regards to Odell Beckham Jr. And then there was waiting on a sunny day. Bruce Springsteen and the New York Jets uh, waiting on a sunny day. My I outlined my plan to rebuild the Jets, which is more than we've heard from general manager Mike McCagden, quite honestly. 60-minute uh, overtime hurry-up offense happened. Uh, what else? Oh, my God, what else? We did so much in so little time here. Uh, oh, yeah, we talked a little bit about Team Italy in the World Baseball Classic, how they need to win today. Forza Italia. Hopefully the MLB Network doesn't switch out the end of the game again because that really made me mad yesterday. So they're playing at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. I will definitely be watching that. And the what the F story of the week was that poor kid who broke the record that has been standing for, let's say, eight, nine years in the 40-yard dash, but he didn't do it in the right shoes. So, no, he didn't win an island, and no, he didn't win a million dollars. Maybe he should try his hand at March Madness brackets, possibly. So, shout-out to my work, ProSportsRundown.com. You're following me on Twitter, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N, and I just t- took a look. I'm creeping up at 800 followers. So, if you guys, you know, like my stuff, don't be afraid to share it with your friends. 800 sounds nice. Uh, YouTube search Coach Space M C C A R T A N SoundCloud.com slash Coach McCartan. If you want to catch up on any other back episodes, for example, or any other interviews, you can find them there also on YouTube. 
And uh, for those of you joining in, it's 12.14 on the East Coast. If you're coming in a little late, maybe you forgot to set your clock back. Don't worry. I got you covered. It's going to come out on iTunes podcast uh, later on today. Tune in radio later on today and in the Google store later on today. So Coach McCartan, just search that or 60 Minute Overtime and all of those. So thanks for you guys checking me out on Periscope. We're at 14, 16 uh, viewers right now and uh, on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. I'll be back next Sunday with the newest and the latest and the greatest in sports uh, news, analysis, and my opinions, obviously. So that'll be next Sunday at 11, barring any softball practice times. So I will keep you updated on my on my uh, social media accounts and whether or not I'll be on next week. I'm looking like it's going to be. And by the way, believe it or not, Team Israel beat Cuba last night in the World Baseball Classic. They are Four in oh, they haven't lost a game in pool play yet. So, Team Israel might be the team to beat uh, coming out of nowhere. I think no one expected that. All right, so I'll catch you guys next week. Follow me on Twitter at Coach McCartan. That's at Coach M C C A R T A N. To find my work on YouTube and SoundCloud, search with no spaces Coach McCartan. Subscribe yourself so you don't have trouble finding it in the future. That's it for today, everybody. Listen live next Sunday, 1.30 to 2.30 p.m.